Well, it is good to be here again this evening. Please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll be continuing our series through the book of Colossians. And we'll be picking up where we had left off last time. We'll be picking up in verse 15. So hear now the word of the living and true God from Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us ask his blessing upon it. Holy Father God, we ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. And we ask that you would add a blessing now to the preaching of your word. That you would open up our ears to hear the word that you have prepared for us. And that you would add a blessing to our hearing. We ask these things through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we saw last time, when we looked at the beginning of Colossians chapter 1, we see that the opening verses of this book, Paul begins by simply stating his credentials, as an apostle of God. And then in verses 3 through 8, he offers thanks to God for the Colossians and how they have held fast to the truth of the gospel. And then in verses 9 to 14, he prays for the Colossians. He prays that they may grow in wisdom and knowledge and holiness of life. 
And what I want us to notice is that in the context of that prayer, the Apostle begins to point out the glory of Christ. It's in prayer that Paul's emotions are so inflamed as to shine forth the glory of Christ. This is an overflow of Paul's heart. It's an overflow of his prayer. In this section that we're looking at this evening, displays the glory of Christ as Creator, as Redeemer, and as Reconciler. The glory of Christ is it's the height of Paul's devotion and his prayer. And what we're going to be looking at today, it's not cold doctrine. It's warm and vibrant truths of the heart. I pray that this will be true of us tonight as we study these things. I pray that these truths that we are going to look at this evening stir up devotion in our hearts as we hear of the glory of Christ. So first we see the glory of Christ as Creator. Look with me beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." Here we see Christ as the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He's displaying His glory as Creator. And Paul lists off a series of descriptions to highlight the glory of Christ as Creator. He is the image of the invisible God as the beginning of verse 15 tells us. Now, this ought to bring us back to the words of Genesis chapter 1 in verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now what's interesting to note is the difference between the language that Genesis uses in its description of man and Paul's description of Christ. We are created in 
the image of God. But Christ Jesus is the image of God. Christ is the Creator. He is the image of God. He's the same in substance with the Father and the Spirit, and He is equal in power and in glory. He is the image of God in the fullest sense. Christ is glorious because He is the image of God. We must glorify the One in whose image we have been made. And Paul continues at the end of verse 15 to say that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Now we have to be careful with this phrase in order to not step off into a false teaching. To rightly understand what Paul means, we have to understand what firstborn is. In today's culture, we typically think of it as simply the first child in the order of birth. And yes, it does mean that. But in the ancient cultures, there was much more significance to being the firstborn. There's an authority that comes with that position. The firstborn is the one who inherits all of the Father's possessions. It's a status and not so much a place in birth order. And with Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, He inherits all that God possesses. He is the inheritor of all things, of all creation. Christ is glorious because He is the firstborn of all creation. We must glorify the One who inherits all things, including ourselves. And all of these things pertain to the glory of Christ as Creator. But here in verse 16, Paul focuses specifically on the act of creating. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Here we see the scope of Christ as Creator. What is He the Creator of? All things. He created all things. Things in Heaven, the planets, and the moons, and the stars, and the heavenly beings. Things on earth, all the animals, and insects, and plants, and oceans, and even man. Things visible and invisible, from, from the biggest thing that you can think of to the smallest, tiniest little subparticle within an atom. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, both physical rulers, such as kings and princes, but also those 
principalities and powers which we fight. There's nothing that has been made that did not come into existence through the creative power of Christ Jesus. Christ is glorious because He is the Creator God. We must glorify the One who has created us and given us life. And Paul also says that Christ is the end of all creation. Look at the end of verse 16. All things were created through Him and for Him. All things have been created for Him. The purpose of creation is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is the goal of creation. To glorify its Creator. Romans 11.36 helps us to see this. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Christ is the source and the end of your being. But let us also look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So not only is Christ the end of your being, He is also the end of your doing. Your life is to be one of service to your Creator. Christ is glorious because He is the end of all things. We must glorify the One who gives us meaning and purpose in life. And the last in this list is that Christ is the sustainer of all creation. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold Together. Christ doesn't just create, he also sustains. It's Christ who makes our world spin on its axis. It's Christ who causes the planets to stay in orbit. It's Christ who holds our bodies together. It's Christ who codes our DNA. It's Christ who sustains all things. All things are held together by Him. And as I said last time, our God is not the God of the deist who, who simply winds up the earth and then lets it go. No, our God is active. Christ Jesus Himself works in His creation and sustains it by His power. And this should bring us great comfort. This means that Christ Jesus knows 
your life too. Because He is the one who is holding it in His hands. And He is the one who is sustaining it through all things. If you feel like you're falling apart, remember that Christ is the one who sustains you. Christ is glorious because He sustains all creation. We must glorify the One who sustains all things, including us. And second, not only do we see the glory of Christ as Creator, but we see the glory of Christ as Redeemer. Look with me in verses 18 to 20. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Paul had previously spoken of Christ as the eternal Son of God, and now he shifts and he speaks of Christ not just as the eternal Son of God, but now as the incarnate God-man. And we see that it is the church who is redeemed. We've become members of that body, the church, through the redemption of Christ. And Christ stands as the head of that redeemed body. Christ is sovereign over the church, just as He is sovereign over creation. And the reason for this high position in the church is that He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Well, we've already seen that firstborn is a title of status and not a number. We know that Christ Jesus wasn't the first person to be raised from the dead. However, He was the most important of all who had been raised from the dead because without His resurrection, there could be no resurrection for others as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. You are His possession because He is the Creator of all things. And you are His special treasure because He purchased your redemption. Christ is the Redeemer of His church. And because He is God, because He is Creator of all things, because in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, He not only redeems the church, but creation itself. And we see this in verse 20. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He uses the same language speaking of all of creation that he did earlier. Things on earth or in heaven. This speaks to all of creation. He's the creator of all things and he is the redeemer of all things. Now this doesn't mean that all of creation is saved. We know that this isn't the case because we know that there's no redemption for the demons. And we also know that there are still people who will go to hell because of their sins. What Paul is speaking to is the totality of redemption found in Christ. Nothing will be left undone at the end of the age. Because of the blood that He spilled on the cross, all of His people have been redeemed. And because of His standing as the firstborn of all creation, He will redeem creation by causing this old world to pass away and by instituting a new one. This is the hope of the glory to come. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 makes this clear. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. This new heaven and this new earth, this new Jerusalem, this is the new creation for us as new creatures. And it's in this new creation that peace is truly made. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is what we have to look forward to. And that is the glory of Christ as Redeemer. But Paul doesn't stop there. It's interesting to see the progression of what Paul is saying here. The scope of his exalting the glory of Christ continues to get more and more focused. He begins with creation. And then he moves to redemption in general. And now now Paul focuses not simply on redemption, but on what redemption does in reconciling man. He 
here in verses 21 to 23, we see the glory of Christ as reconciler. And you, who, were, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul begins by showing who we were prior to Christ. This is very much like what he does in Ephesians 2. He says we were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were separated from God. We were foreigners to Him. This continuous alienation from God expressed itself in being hostile in mind. We were His enemies. We were once in open rebellion against the Creator of all things. We were once guilty of cosmic treason against the Lord of all creation. We were doing evil deeds. As Ephesians 2 puts it, we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. This is who we were without Christ. And just like in Ephesians 2, there is a but God moment here in Colossians 1.22. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Christ did not leave us in our alienation, in our hostile minds, in our evil deeds. No, He reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death. Because of the redemption which He purchased with His blood, we have been reconciled in Him. And this reconciliation is for a purpose. Our condition was terrible, but God's reconciling purpose is to take us out of the darkness of captivity to sin and death and to bring us into His marvelous light. He has reconciled us to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. We have been clothed in His righteousness through our being reconciled in Him. We are now co-heirs of the promises 
and we will remain eternally holy and blameless and above reproach. Because we have been reconciled in Christ, this is our position before God right now. And it will be increasingly true of us as we are conformed more and more into His image. Brothers and sisters, because we have been reconciled, we ought to do everything in our power to be practically holy and blameless and above reproach in this life. Practical holiness should be our lives business with the desire to bring glory to the one who has reconciled us. And verse 23 closes this portion in this way. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now to be clear, Paul's not arguing that this reconciliation that we have in Christ is conditional upon something that we do. No, he's simply showing how it plays out. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to him and now we continue. Reconciliation is manifest in our continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. This is the message that is proclaimed to you today. This is the message of the cross of Christ. You were alienated from God and hostile toward Him, but you have been reconciled in His redemptive work on the cross. And because you have been reconciled in Him, He bids you now to live according to that reconciliation it's the magnitude of our sins against God which makes the cross of Christ so great and the and the reconciliation of us in him so wonderful this is the glory of Christ as reconciler brothers and sisters we have only begun to scratch the surface of the riches of the glory of Christ. Even if we looked at every aspect of the glory of Christ in all of Scripture, we could not even begin to comprehend the depth of His glory. From creation to redemption to reconciliation, He is the Lord of all. But one of the greatest things about what lies ahead of us is that we will spend the rest of eternity 
searching the depths of the riches of His glory. When we are in that new Jerusalem and we are with our Savior face to face, we will see more fully how glorious He truly is. But in the meantime, as we walk this world of which we are simply travelers passing through, we must continue to dive into the depths of His glory, which has been revealed to us in His Word. May we never lose sight of the glory of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you. For you are glorious. Your Spirit is glorious. And your Son is glorious. We praise you, triune God, for the works of your hands in creation creating all things, sustaining all things, ruling over all things. You are worthy of our praise simply because You created us. And, in you, and, and without You, we can do nothing. We thank You and we praise You, triune God, for Your work in redemption. Father, for choosing Your people before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. Christ Jesus, for shedding Your blood in remission of our sins, purchasing our redemption. And Holy Spirit applying that redemption to us through your regenerating power. Father God, we praise you and we thank you that we are no longer strangers, aliens, foreigners but we have been adopted into your family. We have been brought near. We are sons of the Most High. We have been reconciled in Christ. And for that, we owe you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we owe you every ounce of of praise within our beings. Father, we ask that you would remind us of the glory of Christ daily. Let it be a comfort to us for who he is and what he has done for us. Let us never lose sight of the glory of Christ.
We thank you. We praise you, triune God. And we ask, we pray, we lift up all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Zion's only King and Head. Amen.